All right, we are live. Uh, welcome to Are You There, God? It's Kira and Phil. And it's not Kira and Phil this week. It's uh, Kira and Jackson. Uh, Phil is taking some much needed rest this week, as we have been kind of talking about over the past few weeks. October has seemed to be kind of the month that everything um, that was supposed to happen in 2020 is happening in October of yes. 2021. So all of our, our weddings and funerals and stuff. And Phil was like, I need to take, uh, I need to take some time. So super mm -hmm. glad to have um, our guest co-host here today, Jackson. And you say your last name, Davey? Yes. Okay. Like it, I was like, oh no, it's going to be something. Oh no. What was your, what was your alternative translation? I want to hear. Davy? I don't know. Oh, Do they like you know? yes that's um, i'd love to hear that so i am kira austin young i am the priest in charge of saint anne's episcopal church in nashville tennessee and jackson tell us a little bit about you yeah so jackson davy not Devay, even though that sounds a lot more fun uh <laughs> i am originally from montana but now live here in uh, beautiful, sometimes southeastern Virginia, here in Norfolk. Um, go Tides. I was thinking of what sports teams are playing right now. We have a baseball team. There we go. Um, and I, uh, I'm just happy to be here. I'm, I like to be the resident young people for folks. And so I'm glad I resonate with the October and November being the busy months. Uh, because I and my wife are planning our like wedding 2.0 for <laughs> November 7th. And so it's basically like, remember all of those big deals that you made last month? Got to do them again. Um, so everything we postponed, we are, we are re-upping and re-talking to people. And it has been both a blast to get to choose all these fun little decorations and things now, but we are also just sort of living life uh, and trying to get back on the old uh, wedding train. So that has been, that's been a blast. But so did you, did you have a pandemic wedding? Yeah, we had a little mini-money in our church garden. Um, we were with both of our families and some pals. And we basically gave everyone uh, disposable cameras and just told them, take a, take a whole bunch of photos whatever you want to take a photo of do it um so we did have a little wedding uh but now we get it we get to invite some friends from around the country over yeah um, and it'll be it'll be good time to see some of the montana folks yeah. and california folks and whoever else illinois folks yeah. all over yeah i too had a pandemic wedding so mm -hmm. um yeah it's just a in our cathedral chapel with like four people there and yeah. um, it was you know it was it was really lovely even though it was not what we had kind of originally planned um but uh you know that's it it still turned out wonderfully okay you look frozen um now you're back okay <laughs> i'm sorry i just all of a sudden it like disappeared no <laughs> warning. Um, so I'm gonna just, even though we've kind of opened, I'll open us in a little 
in our in prayer in the collect for the week and oh, if absolutely. there's something that hits you about the collect you know we can chat about it a little bit mm-hmm. um the lord be with you that's with you let us pray lord we pray that your grace may always precede and follow us that we may continually be given to good works through jesus christ our lord who lives and reigns with you in the holy spirit one god now and forever amen amen Oh, I mean, already grace preceding me is definitely needed. Um, right now in life, um, I've gone through a little bit of craziness um, trying to find a new job. Um, and I've been on probably like a two month job hunt and where now I am a reading, te- like reading tutor at a middle school. Okay. Um, and I, t- I told him in my interview, I have a lot of energy. I love working with kids. I have a degree in English, but I have n- no real academic ways of teaching kids. And they're like, don't worry, we will give you, we will give you the strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I am constantly looking uh, for grace as they give me this big assignment of taking on people's children and teaching them uh, or helping them. Um, and so that's, that's a big thing for me right now is that I, I'm just going to need, need some grace because things are going to get a little messy. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that image of grace, both preceding and following us. It makes me feel mm-hmm. like I'm just like wrapped in a cocoon of grace and like, no matter which yeah. way I turn, um, God's grace is there. And that's, um, uh, a really, a really helpful image to me. Uh, all of, and it's in the Psalms too. I'm just like, where can we go from you, God? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, nowhere is the answer. And that, um, sometimes that makes me angry. I want to like escape and not have God there. Um, mm-hmm. but most of the time I think that's a, a beneficial and comforting image. Yeah. And I think it's just like, grace is so good, especially as like a thing that's both behind me and forward is that like, I, I have always kind of clenched up when people are like, do the, I mean, very endearingly, but they say like, God has the plan and purpose for you. And I'm like, I don't know if I know the plan or the purpose right now. And I don't know if I'm, I'm fully there for it. I like, you know, I've just been, I eat like a half a bag of Oreos or something. I, I don't know if I'm the right. Is that part of us? plan and purpose for me <laughs> yeah I don't know if that's uh, he might have to like give me like a 15 minute heads up okay <laughs> um and then like I just having having it be that actually like there is totally room for you to not be great at it um has been very confident it really very comforting uh, it helps me feel a little more confident when I jump into things um because I I mean, I try to help out with our our young adults group here at our church. Um, and I try to come up with cool questions. We'll listen to a podcast and like come together. And sometimes I sound really smart. And sometimes I say things and everyone just says, what? <laughs> and we just have to sit there for a bit. Um, and then I say, well, well, what I meant was this. And then hopefully that sounds smarter the second time around. Yeah. Um, and it's, I'd like, grace just kind of lets you be 
a fool. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know what? We can be fools for Jesus. Yeah. No, that's, that's uh, one of my... <laughs> That's, uh, so my, um, my husband is, I don't know how to describe this. My husband is a graduate of Ringling Brothers Clown College. And, um, he's not, he's not currently active as a clown, but he has that in his, uh, in his background. Is there a licensure? Is there clown licensure that you carry around? (laughs) There is not, but like your clown college is like, apparently there's like a whole hierarchy of clowns you know, mm. with like Cirque du Soleil clowns being, you know, the top of the, the uh. heap. Um, but this idea of, and I ended up kind of preaching about it the day that uh, Easter was on April Fools a few years ago. And uh, this idea of that kind of like being fools for Christ and the way that in, you know, historically like the jester or the court, you know, the court joker is Mm -hmm. able to kind of uh have their own power over the like actual power of the king or the ruler whoever um by this kind of like but it's like this sideways power and Mm -hmm. uh, i find that very fascinating when it comes to kind of the the life of faith because i think um i i'm so uh, drawn to kind of the paradoxes of christianity that you know and we get that in our gospel for this week that you know, the first will be last and the last will be first. And like, what does that mean? And then you kind of see that in, um, not only in what Jesus says, but it's, I mean, it's throughout the whole Bible, right? That like, it's the younger son that is the one who, you know, the lineage passes through or um, it's, it's not some famous, you know, big shot person that is the son of God. It's this like, you know, backwater Roman empire, Mm-hmm. you know, oppressed minority, like artisan guy, son of an artisan, you know, um, yeah. disgraced mother, like, <laughs> uh, and yeah. that's just like, I don't know about like the story of that is, um, very compelling to me. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, um, on the flip side of it too, I think not to just have the, the positive side, but also just kind of in a space where people can just be messy both with the positive sort of going forward exciting uh outlook but also people can be messy and absurd in ways where things can be definitely difficult too um which has been so comforting i think also in this year um as things are still tumultuous and things are still getting figured out um there is still plenty of things that we kind of just have to sit with and we can be we can be kind of you know messy and still god's there and can still hear us even if we don't properly you know walk through grief or walk through everything that we're struggling with um and that you know we'll still see god there and that's just been that's just uh, i think kind of great that we don't have to imagine that we're we're supposed to be there that we've been sent there that we can be just kind of stumbling through these things and still like that's where we're going to see god either on you know sending ourselves into the into exciting moments or in terrifying moments um that grace lets us be messy either to be our best or sometimes just kind of embrace our our 
our messy un unattractive selves and that still <laughs> that works out well yeah yeah that yeah. um i i really chafe against that sort of god has a plan for you god has a purpose for you which like i do i mean i do think that's true um mm -hmm. in maybe kind of the broad scheme of things but also yeah. i felt so much um I somehow internalized this as like a, a young person as a teenager and kind of into my twenties that I was like, I need to find this path. And like, once I'm on the path, then like, I'll be doing all of the things that like I'm supposed to do. And if I make the wrong decision, then how will I know, how can I get back on the path that I'm supposed to be on? And, um, in, in one of our sermons for our, one of our clergy gatherings, the Bishop, my Bishop kind of asked a question that was like, what is God doing in this moment? And I thought that was a really, or like, what is God doing here in this kind of space? Yeah, that like feels tumultuous, that feels uncertain. Um, and that to me was a much more helpful image than kind of like, let me just get on this path. And like, if I do everything right, then the doors will open and it'll be easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know trying to find like the one job i'm supposed to do and and even going through the discernment process for the priesthood it felt like the getting ordained was like this brass ring and once i had the brass ring like everything would kind of start to make sense and uh unfortunately that did not happen and <laughs> what, what they did not tell me was like discernment is a lifelong thing and it's certainly not yeah. just for clergy it's for it's for everyone you know is this um is it about a job? Is it about where I'm going to live? Is it about following a spouse who has a great job opportunity? It's about where are you going to send your kids to school? Um, you know, I mean, discernment is exhausting and constant. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, it's like, I think about that because I, um, in undergrad, I did English and journalism and I, um, like most stereotypical undergrads, I, or, and Eng especially English undergrads, I was like, well, I kind of have an idea what to do, but I don't know how that's going to happen, especially um, living in Montana. There is mm. not a heaping demand for English majors. Um, so someone said, you know what? We need more lawyers who read broadly. And I said, you're right. Let's do that. Uh, and so I signed myself up to become a pre-law major. And there was a very, very uh, straightforward uh, advisor from France. And she had a degree in the like metaphysics and all big words. I'll just say that. Um, I didn't really understand it. But she said, listen, you're not going to make any money as an English major you need to go to law school. Absolutely, mm -hmm. 100%. You have these grades, do it. So I did it thinking, great, everything will fall into path. I love, I love to read. Mm -hmm. I love old books. I can write pretty well. Let's go. Um, you know, I was even so sure of it that, um, you know, I was ready to apply to all these different schools. And I mean, I moved across the country now i also met my girlfriend now wife so i was there was a kind of a, more of an incentive to move across the country but still packed up everything it was like i'm gonna go 
to law school, being this fully type B dude with a large beard who kind of doesn't want to wear suits. You know, they wanted us to wear suits all the time. Um, so I went and after a semester realized this is not really the path for me. Um, and that felt really great to say. I'm sure it scared my mom when I called her at yeah. like nine o'clock at night and being like, I don't think I can do law school anymore. Um, and then having that conversation on January of 2020 and then a great long uh, period of, of waiting um, as no one wanted to get back to you about uh, your job application that you had submitted in the beginning of the year. Um, so I have learned how to uh, sit with vocation as something that you will not find quickly or easily, which I think just resonates with so many different places in life, whether it be doing ministry, doing creative projects, doing your job, um, doing relationships, things, <laughs> things do not come with a great deal of certainty in a couple of weeks. You do have to sit with things uh, and realize that you are only able to kind of figure out what you can do for the day and build off of that sometimes um, and embrace it and, and kind of roll with that messiness because trying to trying to say no to the world all the time is just really frustrating especially when you're <laughs> especially when you I'm speaking for myself here uh, have been unemployed during a pandemic you can't just kind of you can't just reject the premise that you're in a pandemic and you don't have a job but there's just something to be said going about grace and vocation that um sometimes god will put you in a space where you just like time to think about vocation without having a job um and thinking about vocation is not just career has been um has been has been fun difficult but also has taught me a lot about myself. I mean, I have done a little bit of everything now in this pandemic world where I have sold appliances, not knowing anything about appliances in the beginning, but um, it was like, I like helping local folks. And then all of a sudden I was fundraising with the ACLU and being like, well, I like talking to people. And now working with kids, I'm like, well, I love helping people find their language um so let's let's just see how this keeps rolling and let's see who knows you know maybe next i'm going to be working as like a, a vet tech I, I don't know um and in all of this it comes up with i think learning more about myself and becoming kind of grateful for that for that messiness even though it's still something to be frustrated about at times but yeah, you know, I can't really reject it. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you just gotta like live through it, right? And, yeah. You know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. So tell me a little bit about like, did were you did you grow up in the Episcopal Church or did you grow up in a church or like what's kind of been your your spiritual yeah. journey? <laughs> as much as I okay. don't really love that language, but like. <laughs> no, we can we can go through it. Um. So I grew up in a tiny country church. So I was didn't grow up Episcopal at all. Uh, I grew up in like a tiny country church. 
um, where it looks like a barn, um, a lovely barn, but still it looked like a large barn. Um, plenty of animal mounts and plenty of just good old folks uh, in Montana. So that was really my background. Um, you know, and we were we were just a little community. And then at the same time, going into kind of the, let's, let's grow some spiritual journey language, um, a large mega church is kind of overgrown the part of Montana where I'm from. So I'll just not keep a name there. Um, but I kind of learned that living on kind of the outside of the bigger, sexier, louder, faster version of church, that wasn't really the space for me, even though I knew a lot of people went to a bunch of, they had like rock concert events throughout the week um, as they can, because they are large. Um, So I was like, this is not the church space for me. I'm I'm interested in things. I'm kind of nerdy. Uh, I'll I'll be with that. Um, I'm a, you know, bit of a beatnik granola kind of guy, even in law school. So I, um, I just kind of have taken that and, and rolled with it. And so I was a part of a college ministry that was a lot more nerdier and a lot slower um, where, where we just kind of read a lot of books and just hung out all the time. And that was really great for me. Um, and then through that, I ended up moving out here to Virginia, um, where my wife and I were like, let's go to Episcopal Church because that seems more um, inclusive of a lot of the questions and, and struggles that we'd had, especially with you know, when it comes to LGBTQ inclusion, when it comes to some of the just broad social issues that we thought were being addressed. Um, and when it comes to looking at something different because both of us had kind of had similar experiences where we had sort of seen this larger sort of American Christian culture and kind of wanted to unplug from that for a little bit and find a space that it was okay to not have all these answers and not sort of move at 100 miles per hour. Um, And so that that wound us up here as two two young folks in a very, very large, very old church and have been loving it ever since. I mean, they've fed us, they have wed us, uh, employed us. So we've had a blast. Yeah, you know, the, it's interesting because the prevailing wisdom when I was growing up um, and even kind of as I got into like my later high school and early college years was like, oh, well, young people, like they'll leave the church and then they'll come back when they like get married and have kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, that hasn't happened for like right. for a lot of uh, those of us who were maybe raised in the Episcopal Church or raised in other kind of mainline denominations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I have seen, you know, in your story and kind of also through my own parishioners is people that have kind of grown up um, in either kind of more conservative backgrounds or uh, different kinds of churches and are looking for are attracted to both the kind of historical liturgical nature of like being part of something um mm-hmm. older <laughs> you know what I mean? uh and and also but also in a space that like is affirming of women in ministry and LGBTQ yeah. plus 
you know, acceptance and um, championing and like thinks that climate change is a thing. And yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, being having kind of grown up in Texas and and currently being in um, in Tennessee for the last thirteen years, um, sometimes I kind of like forget that. Uh, I don't know, some of my colleagues are not like fighting the same battles that I am sometimes, um, mm -hmm. you know, depending geographically, it can just be so different. You know, some of my, my colleagues in like New England or in the Bay Area of California, like they're working against kind of a more like secular culture. And I'm working with like a much more kind of steeped in like American white evangelicalism um right. culture so it's and like we've talked on this show before like it's hard to not be like well we're not like them like we're we're yeah. better christians or like they're not actually christians um yeah. but i think there is something that i i mean my hope is that the episcopal church has something to offer um for younger generations who are maybe looking around at the world and kind of saying like, I, this is not working for me. My experience of Christians is not always great, but like, maybe there's something out there like, that is yeah. a community where I can explore, you know, a relationship with God and, um, mm -hmm. and Jesus and like, also do things that match with my values, you know, socially or politically, um, yeah. you know, small P politically, not like <laughs> necessarily. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's such a, there's such a, a wisdom. It's such, you know, going back to like grace and growth for me, I mean, to see like other people, I think preaching and involved in life of the church who don't look like me, uh, because there are a lot of people who obviously look like me, um, mostly being white dudes with big beards. Um, that's just, <laughs> just kind of, I don't know why, but there are, there are so many of us um, in sort of in European church history. Um, it, but it's just so good, I think, also to have a, um, really a space that um, lets, you not have every answer, but sometimes just sit with a good question or two. Um, because I think there is there is such a there is such a demand for, I think, a space for um, for young folks to have kind of a a spiritual center that is not just about finding community. I know that community is like such a buzzword and everyone thinks if you just gather like 20 like young people in a room, then bam, you know, they'll like, they'll like, all like float up and glow. <laughs> and then like all of your problems just fix. Um, but people are really looking for that spiritual dimension. I mean, and I think churches can be a place that can actually be excited about that. Mm -hmm. um and offer something I think different I mean sure for me I'm a bit nerdier so I like something that's a bit stranger and and maybe has a bit more um books and things to carry around 
um, you know, my mother is like, why, why, do you, why do you have like an extra book with you at church? I'm like, well, you know, that's just kind of, it's fun. It's fun. Um, it's fun. That's my way of describing the Book of Common Prayer. It's fun. Um, but, you know, that, that space where people can, I think, have some, have some tensions and find some place to be okay to work through them. I think we have, especially in sort of entertainment and in the world of sort of reactions to current events being, you know, a mile a minute, um, people have to have their lives and their responses to things figured out very quickly, or at least have it demanded of them very quickly. Um, and if you don't, there is definitely a lot of tension if you don't have your reaction and your personal uh, statement on Facebook to be read by your distant aunts and uncles. Um, and churches can be a great place to, I think, ruminate on those or let those kind of let those simmer for a while and actually like share what we love and to just have a, a, a space where you can learn about those things. Um, so when it comes to when it comes to climate, when it comes to uh, when it comes to LGBTQ inclusion, when it comes to uh, when it comes to racial justice or mass incarceration, when it comes to all of these things, um, like having a, a meeting place where people can learn about them and come from all sorts of different backgrounds is so wonderful and it's so helpful. Um, and I just, I love that. But also I go into what you said about not trying to, to define ourselves as being the sort of not of something else is so good uh, because I know in sort of my own personal experience going through and looking for, you know, church traditions or church expressions that look like what I want to be a part of, I can get tired of places that don't try to do, I, I, well, I get tired of places that define themselves by what they're not. And that can be really tiring for them too. Mm -hmm. I, I see it so much that like, I just, sometimes I just want to be excited about the gospel, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um. So as our, our resident Gen Z or, you know, I, I was, we were talking about before we kind of got on, um, before we started streaming and recording. Um, one of the funky things about the church, especially the Episcopal church is that it does skew quite old in terms of age. And there's like, there's good stuff in that, right? Like ideally we'd have kind yeah. of a mix. I was talking with a friend of mine who goes to a sort of non-denominational church of Christ-ish kind of church plant. And she was sort of saying, actually we have like too many younger people and like it's been a problem in terms of just trying mm -hmm. to get you know get people to volunteer yeah. for things or be available or um and and yet what that means is that like <laughs> I, i've talked about this with friends you know people clergy especially especially women clergy into their 50s are being told like you're so young or like you're you know you're young enough to be my granddaughter or whatever <laughs> Um, and that has happened to, to me throughout my, you know, ordained mm. career, not going on 10 years of being ordained now. So I'm not like 
you know, a, a fresh, you know, newly ordained person, mm -hmm. um, but still generally in the church am perceived of and am in terms of the kind of broader spectrum quite, quite young. And, and yet every church, every church you interview, every like profile that is looking for a rector, they say, we want somebody who can bring in young people and young families. And so what, what can churches do um, to, I don't appeal or address um, the concerns of, of people in kind of the Gen Z cohort? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this is something that has to do, I think, a lot with where people are at. I don't think the same answer is going to be the same for, say, like, a rural church in Montana in a, like, a college town parish. Um, I think they're going to have different expressions for it. But I really do think the context for how you can say young people can contribute to the life of the church is super important. Um, I think because people know when they're just sort of being told to just kind of show up, you know, that I think <laughs> we just want you there to like look well. at you and feel like less, you know, yeah. devastated about the future of the church. kind of. <laughs> yeah. But when they, you know, when, when people can say that it's not just about you being young, but it's about sort of that you're in this space in life that is either college or you are looking for other folks who are going through the same struggles with identity. Um, you know, as much as I've you know, just talked about how this can be a great place to be liminal and work through things, having some answers and you know, being sort of an advocate for people is, is really helpful, um, especially for younger generations. I mean, you know, I think sometimes Episcopal churches can be afraid of being an advocate sometimes. Uh, and sometimes it's it's easy to put up a nice little sign or or put up a, a cute little slogan on a, on your your if your church has a little logo board, uh, your sandwich board to say like, we love everyone, no exceptions. Um, but sometimes there are- That's our, like the Episcopal church welcomes yeah. you, right? Yeah, um, great. But what are you like? How are you actually welcoming people? Um, you know, the context for how people can actually sort of come in is is super important. I think that's the next step part. You know, just being available and being interesting. Mm -hmm. um, how do people? How can people actually sort of contribute? Because people are still, I think, you know, when people are afraid of asking something of young people or of asking people a little more. I mean, we know now uh, young, young people are, are willing to step up and, and say what they believe in and are willing to be a part of protests and movements and contribute to things, even if they you know, are just passing around the same $20 through mutual aid campaigns. <laughs> um, like those are all beautiful things in which like, young people are motivated and involved to help out. Um, it is not, it is not that much more pressing to say, you know, the things that you love, the things that you are excited about are also the things that God is excited about, mm. that part of 
you know, part of thy kingdom coming is the hope and solidarity to be with those who do not see that. Um, and that you can bring that light, that joy, that grace to people who don't know it. Um, and so those are very broad ideas, but those are very helpful. I mean, there are, all, of course, all of the myriad of little things where you're making church available right. for young folks. Um, just the idea of being able to, you know, listen to what the service is like, you know. I think now we we have a world where people can sort of see recorded versions of, of liturgy because for some people that's completely new, that's completely foreign. Um, the ability to, to see that and to understand how that worship looks can be super helpful for folks. Um, but also having events be accessible to, to young folks who are, you know, a lot of people are working. Mm -hmm. So having those outside of just, you know, 10 a.m. on a Thursday. <laughs> 10 a.m. Bible study. Yeah, there was my church um, that I was a part of in college. They had a, yeah, their women's Bible study was at like 1030 on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is, it seems to, I mean, and eventually we ended up starting kind of a like 20s, 30s Bible study um, yeah. because it was like, I think the men's Bible study was at like 7 a.m., you know, kind of breakfast Bible study. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I've, I've found in, in my ministry, especially um, for folks that are like newly graduated from college or maybe they just moved to an area, you know, there was one, um, one guy that I was working with at my first church who like his, I mean, he worked like night shift, you know, um, kind of yeah. managing truck, you know, trucking and shipping. And so, you know, he usually couldn't come on Sunday mornings or like was usually too tired to come on Sunday mornings, mm -hmm. um, you know, and not too tired in the like, oh, I just didn't want to get up. But in the like, he had been working until 630 that morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Or, uh, you know, I, I've had other parishioners who, yeah, like are, are bartenders. And so they're working until two thirty three on Sunday morning. And so turning around and coming um, mm -hmm. to 830 church probably isn't going to happen. <laughs> and, um, you know, part of this is just kind of like life under late stage capitalism where like there isn't... <laughs> Sorry, I'm yeah. going to get a little political here. <laughs> no, go ahead. Um, but just the demands of our economic system are now so 24-7. And for people who are in jobs, you know, especially not necessarily like white collar jobs or even, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, gosh, even doctors and nurses and stuff are often working, you know, at abnormal, quote unquote, hours. Uh, and, and how, you know, we're no longer in a culture where Sunday morning, even in the South is like sacred and set apart. Um, yeah. there's, there's commerce happening. There's recreation happening. It's no longer just a given that like, well, it's Sunday morning. So you get up and you go to church. Um, and, and I, I've been thinking a lot about, the need for the church to be a place of um, 
of rest and like restoration and what does that look like in a culture that is so um I mean <laughs> it's busy and it's busy with um things that are often draining to our souls <laughs> you know whether that's oh yeah commuting or um you know working a job that like maybe is not your like one and only true vocation in love <laughs> mm -hmm. um even as somebody yeah. who is in a vocation that i love like it's still exhausting and tiring yeah um and, and that and and part of that i was part of that involves i think that's that's just the wonders of, of boundaries i think the church gets to be a place where we can unplug people i mean i've seen the countless TikToks about how you can turn your passions your hobbies into hustles and you can make another you know a magical two grand a month um, somehow it's like selling your socks on ebay right. and maybe you have like some special uh collector's edition board game that you can get on ebay and then you too can become a millionaire by the time you're 30. um and there are so many ways that this kind of culture i think just eats away at our ability to rest, in our ability to see things that are of value, but not monetary value, mm -hmm. and how um, the work and things that we do, the labor that we do, can actually kind of look better um, and can feel more productive and feel more fruitful, and we can feel more healthy about them if we set up times where we don't engage with them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my my wife is trained to be a therapist because sometimes get like magazines about counseling around the house and I'll read them so that I can talk to my wife about things that she is working on. Um, and there is a book about the four hour work week. And that to me is crazy, but also really interesting. Like I, like I would love that because, and I think that the church has a place to play in that and it is not reinventing the wheel. I think that we have this abundance of gifts because you're right, we are not just all looking to bring in young people. We do want to be a, a generational thing. We want to be families of folks who not just by blood, but by people we meet along the way. Um, and we have, you know, within the Book of Common Prayer, I mean, there are services that go throughout the day. You know, you can have things for just people who need something like in the middle of the week on the mornings. Great. You can have things for people in the evenings. You don't, not everything has to be big and orchestrated and have choirs. You can have people hearing things, reading and resonating with them mm -hmm. and just sitting with that for a bit. You can have things that are conversations, but also guided by liturgy and excitement. You can have, I think, uh, you know, this is something that's uh, a bit funny to me, but yeah, I mean, you could do like worship experiences. You can have uh, just moments where you can try to blend the liturgical world and the contemporary Christian music world, bring those together on late nights. Um, I've always thought about, wouldn't it be fun if we did a version of uh, like garage band culture and Compline <laughs> together, bring them together. I mean, it's a late night liturgy experience. <laughs> um, I'm sure someone someone can come up with shoegaze hymns, you know. So we don't have to really reinvent the wheel at all. I mean, we have kind of mm -hmm. these gifts kind of laying around 
um, to kind of unplug the world and create sort of boundaries in our life that make <laughs> make some healthy space for us to not be these machines. Um, and I think that's really attractive in a world that asks a lot of both good and bad things from us. I mean, I think there are times to hold ourselves accountable and be able to be more engaged in a world that we have just kind of plug and played our our care and concern for our neighbors. But also, you know, there are plenty of bad things where we need to sort of be consistently available to our bosses or to be, um, you know, to be working two or three jobs or to, you know, just a myriad of things. And I think the church getting to be that, that space where that doesn't have to happen and that things can be, things can be valuable and exciting and fun. Um, and things can also be confusing and messy and sad. And that can all happen without you having to produce something from that. You don't have to do anything to be in a healthy space with that. The grace, the healing, the, all of that is something that Jesus knows. I mean, to, to give you that sweet gospel message. I mean, he, you Bring know, it home. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us, who empathizes, who listens to us, who tells us to, you know, grieve with us, who grieve and weep with us, who weep. Um, this is an opportunity to do that um, in a world that is asking us to do too much. Yeah, I think, I mean, even in the church, and I find myself um, having this, you know, whenever you meet somebody, it's, you know, like, what's your name, blah, 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 and then what do you do? Like, that's your kind of, mm -hmm. that's the go-to question, right? And I think um, having the church be a place where it is less about what you do and kind of more about who you are as like a beloved child of God um, yeah. is, is countercultural in a way that like, doesn't you know I mean it isn't like yeah we're taking a stand but it, it's providing this alternative source of identity that you're not you mm -hmm. know your job title you're not your salary um you're not you know where you go to make money but mm -hmm. you're uh you're a beloved child of God you're you know the person who makes the communion bread or you're the person that like brings the good donuts for coffee hour or like you know um, yes it's like um I, I I think that's really lovely Phil was talking about last week that he was having a funeral and the funeral was for somebody quite uh re remarkable and that a sitting senator was giving one of the eulogies and he was like mm -hmm. but in church you never would have known that this guy was a big shot you know mm -hmm. the, and having church be that place of like you don't know who's the high price lawyer and who's the janitor or who's the you know um yeah. teacher and who's the doctor or whatever like that um I mean those are certainly gifts that we bring to the community that is the church but um it's not like your sole identity mm -hmm. it's just it's so it's so healthy to have a place where we can just not have to make up identity I mean how like people can see it I mean I'm sure that you've seen it and I've seen it where people say that they're countercultural and really they just mean 
um, a different kind of culture that is not the dominating culture of wherever <laughs> they are at. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it's just it's become this different cultural identity. Um, and then you'll be cool. Um, and just to, to unplug from the need to be sort of either with and for a bunch of ideas, but just already have this beautiful identity that has been seen and loved and known about you mm -hmm. already. Um, and you can just kind of sit with that, I think is so healthy and so needed right now. Yeah, and you know, I think one of, um, as you were kind of talking, I was thinking about some suggestions that I've heard other people make, especially in a world where um, our country where like everyone is very mobile. And so like, as you kind of mentioned, like you're not, um, you're not in the same living in the same place that you grew up in, you know, you're across the country now, like, mm -hmm. how do you kind of make connections? How do you, you know, especially in a place of like, hey, I need to find a job, like I need some, yeah. I need to pay my rent. Um, and, and the church maybe being a place of that kind of like ability to make connections, ability to kind of know people and, yeah. um, like, Hey, I know this guy, he's really great. Like he'd be perfect for this thing that this other person I know is looking for. And, um, being that community in a, in a world where like, it's kind of hard to make that community, um, when we are constantly kind of moving around and I know like I think you said you know Norfolk's kind of a big uh, military town yeah. so you've probably got some um you know just a lot of transients and uh I mean the same is true of Nashville a lot of people are kind of they come in for school and they leave or they come in and um mm -hmm. are working in a field and then they move somewhere else and mm -hmm. uh there's it's hard to um it's always sad to kind of say goodbye to people and uh and yet like i always kind of remind people that we're blessing as they leave that like it, we're all part of the church like we're all, we're all part of the same yeah, family yeah. so this isn't goodbye it's just see you later you're always part of this parish you know mm -hmm. um and and you're certainly always welcome back and that kind of um you know keeping in touch with and even as people uh go elsewhere to um maintain those those relationships and and to live out you know what we say which is that we're part of the body of christ we're part of this family oh yeah oh it's like it's so amazing to see how you know christ christ was a stranger to us and christ was a stranger to folks in his own time and to see folks who were coming in as gifts you know mm -hmm. because jesus was a, a gift who came in, in the form of the stranger and to like to celebrate with that to celebrate people who are who are coming in from different places and to realize just the abundance of gifts that we have in our own community if we're vulnerable and honest enough like we have just a little bit here or there that we can give um and also you know helping people be vulnerable enough to not live in the sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps but to be like, realize that they need help, you know, cause that was totally difficult for me to be mm -hmm. like, Hey, I need a job. Um, and to be like, this, this has been going on for like a month or so. And this has been really frustrating, you know, um, because there's just so much stigma around that here. They're like, why don't you just, you know, why don't you just get the, the fast food job that's paying a lot right now and then find another job later. And I'm like, what? I, that's, that's not how it works. <laughs> um you know you you 
need that community. You need each other to hold yourself accountable to, to vulnerability, to, to a deeper love, because that's, that's really where you get to see the gifts of mm-hmm. inviting the stranger in um, and seeing that you really are much more a family than first you thought. Yeah, I think to kind of circle circle back around to our conversation about grace that we sort of opened with. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I I find um I found kind of as a as a priest and a and a teacher and pastor, people really struggle with the idea of of grace because it does put us in that vulnerable receiving posture, and mm-hmm. so much of our dominant ethos is like. I'm independent. I'm strong. I don't need anybody's help. And if I do need somebody's help, it means that I'm, I'm weak or I'm um, lesser than. And uh, I, I've been working with a friend of mine who just had surgery, but that surgery was delayed because of COVID cases and the hospital were mm-hmm. so high. And, um, you know, she is a single woman, lives alone, and a bunch of uh, her friends were like, okay, well, what can we, what can we do? And she finally kind of said, you know, I, um, I need people to help me walk my dog because her condition was, ha- it was having, it was making her have trouble breathing. And she just didn't have the kind of stamina to wear out her dog. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so we all got together and like, we'd each took a day and I'd take my dog over and we'd take her dog and we'd go hike. And, um, she was like, I, she was, she was like, it's hard, it's hard for me to receive this gift with no expectation that it be returned. And I was like, yeah, like people think it's hard to give, but it's actually a lot harder in our culture to receive and to receive freely um, without Mm -hmm. kind of being like, well, I owe you, or, you know, I'll get next lunch or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, um, but and and that I think is a good practice for receiving the grace of God is receiving the gifts that other people have to offer us not and without kind of <laughs> you know a lot of times when people give you a compliment you're like oh this old thing or like oh no mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and it's like just yeah. just receive it just and I think that's been um even in those small ways a spiritual practice for me of just learning to to receive and receive people's gifts and offerings um, without kind of trying to return the favor, you know, hoping that like, it'll all kind of work out, you know, I mean, (laughs) and the people that seem to us to be needy or needing more, uh, you know, are giving in their own way. So there's no it's not like this person's a taker and this person's a giver or whatever. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, it's like we are, the more the definition is more of our relationship to each other. Like we, like there is something, it's not just about giving and taking, but it's about like what we share in the gift together and that, mm-hmm. that need to, that, that space in between is actually kind of really beautiful. I mean, that's where, that's where we see mercy instead of just, performing sacrifice I mean yeah that's what Jesus says is cool so yeah um well again thank you so much for being with me today and um one last question what have you been listening to yeah so I mean as fall has been entering the air um I have two 
return to representing my Montana roots and our good Montana native Colin Malloy in the Decemberists. Oh. So, uh, you know, gotta gotta bring that back. It they always feel appropriate in the fall. Yes. Um, and they're just you know enjoying the occasional sea shanty and other things that they <laughs> they try to bring about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always just a good time. How about you? Um, so I took a little bit of a dive into Brandy Carlisle's new album yesterday. Uh-huh. And I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to maybe say something controversial. I, I am not like a big Brandy Carlisle fan, but I know a lot of my okay. friends are and like really love her. And so I'm trying. And, um, I think there's something that I don't like about her voice. <laughs> oh no. Um, you know, I, no, I mean, and I, I like the album. I'm just mm-hmm. not like the people, I, the people that I know who are into Brandy Carlisle are like really into Brandy Carlisle. There and, are some devoted fans. Yes. And I'm kind of like, I like it, but I'm not like, am I missing something? Like I just, <laughs> um, I like the new album. It does feel very like fall, fallish to me. Um, mm-hmm. I also to kind of, I was telling Phil not this past weekend but the weekend before um I went to go see Big Frida at the Cannery Ballroom here in Nashville and mm-hmm. uh that was quite quite a show and got me into back into kind of like my some New Orleans bounce when I want a like little little more energy yeah. you know <laughs> Okay um but yeah, that was, I will say as we're approaching, I mean, it's a little bit further down the road, but if anyone is like in the mood for some Christmas music right now, Big Frida's Christmas album is maybe one of my favorite Christmas albums. <laughs> I like that. It is like not, that it is not your standard Christmas album. I will just say that. So good. Uh, also like uh, for anybody who's listening, it's like a little more R rated than a lot of um other suggestions that we have. yeah <laughs> now i'm intrigued yeah <laughs> and, and r-rated christmas album is that um, allowed yeah so again jackson thanks for being here uh phil will be back next week at uh same same time same day Uh, next Tuesday. And until next time, I hope you all have a, a wonderful week.